What if it rained food? What if Earth was a cube? What if we had nine lives? What if bits could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have knees, if we walked through life slightly magnetical, it's absurd. Absurd hypotheticals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Guys, are you ready for another superpower-filled episode? I am. I like having superpowers. It's fun. This one's not actually a fun episode, though. Our question today is, what if you had Spider-Man's powers? I like Spider-Man a lot. I do like Spider-Man. I, In researching him, I was kind of surprised how few, like sneaky off the world powers i never heard of that he has like yeah he's not like aquaman where he he's like super strong and stuff like that and we just don't know yeah like usually when i do when we do research on these like superheroes like you go into like the comics and suddenly they have like fifteen thousand offshoots and they have like all these different powers and i think it's just because spider-man just has such a clear vision that it's like this is what spider-man does he's got the he's got the climbing he's got the webbing he's got the spidey tingles he's like spider sense yeah. and He's he's strong and fast and all those other things that, you know, give him the superhuman abilities. But those aren't super interesting for what we do um, at this point in time. I mean, how many times have we covered being super strong and super fast? A lot. They also, with his super speed, super strength and everything, he, he doesn't get insane ever with them. Like, every other superhero who is, you know, super strong as part of their identity is at some point, like, punched through a mountain or something. And Spider-Man doesn't really do that sort of stuff. He he does in all the movies. He always has that shot where he's like getting pulled apart. Oh right, <laughs> between yeah. Two webs. Yeah, the train or the bridge or whatever is collapsing yeah. or going fast. He's slowing down. Yep. He always does that. Yeah, and that's the main one thing, and that's the that's really where I enjoyed the research on like the the fandom wikis and all that about the powers because like everyone has to try and justify those scenes where it's like how strong is Spider Man? It's like well. They say explicitly that he's this strong, but also there was this scene where he was like holding up a bus by himself, which would be this much weight, which would rip him in half normally. Right. So he must have <laughs> extra resilience or something. So it's always like the set pieces of all the different, you know, all the climactic scenes like just break all the math anyway. How many of the movies have you seen? Um, I have seen the original, well, the the trilogy, the the, the, the Maguire, yeah, the Tobey Maguire trilogy. And then I think I've seen one or two other... I think I saw one of the Amazing Spider-Mans, and I saw the Into the Spider-Verse one. I think I've seen all of them but the second Amazing Spider-Man. Same. <laughs> yeah. Because I did not like the first Amazing Spider-Man. So I heard I the second one was to. better, I think. I can't remember exactly. Wait, you just said you didn't see the second one. I, I heard it. I, I think I heard it was better, though. Oh. I just never still saw it. I'll say specifically for this question, we are not saying we are Spider-Man, we are not Peter Parker, we are just, you know, ourselves with Spider-Man powers. So we have all his stuff, but we don't gotta deal with any of his baggage or his personality or be like, well, would Spider-Man do this, or would he bother, you know, saving people? Because that's probably what he would do. Yeah, we don't have an Aunt May or an Uncle Ben. Yeah, none of the, none of those nonsenses. But I guess I'll start off, and I'll say what I would do with Spider-Man's powers. So the one I kind of focused on was... The web sling, because I think that's, for me, that was the, the iconic one. Like, this is what I want to do with Spider-Man. I want to, I want to web shit together. And so, as I mentioned, my, my main Spider-Man knowledge comes from that original film series with Tobey Maguire. And in these movies, Spider-Man simply shoots the web from, like, beneath his beneath the skin on his wrist. And then, like, in The Amazing Spider-Man and, like, in the Spider-Verse, they had a... I noticed they were like, oh, instead he has a mechanical device attached to his wrist that shoots out the webs. And I was like... Well, that's a weird change to make, but I guess it's like, oh, reminder, he's good at inventing stuff. But it turns out it's actually, in the way in the original comics, he can't do it naturally. It's all it's always been a device. I think the Tobey Maguire thing is the only time it's not a device. I, I thought there was one. No, there's, there's another line. one. So there's yeah. Tobey Maguire, and there's one where he, you know, enhances his abilities through something or another to get more powerful. And then he has it for a bit. And then I think he reverts back again to the, the mechanical one when it gets on to, you know, the next author right in the next comic series. I, I also think, hi, I'm a huge comics nerd. Well, less than I used to be. But um, I think that in one of, there's always like multiple like universes slash timelines going on. I feel like in one of them, like maybe the ultimate comics, he also had the um, like biological web out of his wrist. It's weird. 
Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> we're at the point now where Into the Spider-Verse is literally just about there being a whole bunch of multiverses. Well, yeah, with yeah, Spider-Man exactly. specifically is a lot of, I think they're going to do that in the next movie, too, so. Yeah. Well, one one interesting choice I found was in, in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, so, like, in the comics, Spider-Man invents his own web-slinging, but in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, they decided a biotech company had to do it for him instead of him doing it himself, <laughs> and I'm like... He's not smart anymore. <laughs> if you're going to bring it back, at least, like let him do it like let him be his own smarty but they didn't i, I ended up when i when i did the rest match i ended up sticking with the toby mcguire making himself version just because it avoids doing with the boring stuff like oh is he gonna run out of ammo or is it gonna break or some other stupid little things i just didn't want to deal with the you know a potential tech problem with uh my web slinging so i just i just stuck with the toby mcguire version so what do we do with web slinging is the question and realistically what i would do is i would just swing around new york city buildings and I can't imagine spending my time any other way because that's just the awesome thing to have fun with. I feel like I would kill myself pretty early on. <laughs> Probably. Well, you got all the other enhanced power, like the enhanced, you know, you got your um, increased reflexes and strength and True. durability and healing and stuff. So you're you're fairly well off. But doing that is fun and everything, but it's not really particularly interesting. It doesn't really help anyone. So the question is, what can we do that's like kind of unique and awesome with our newfound powers? And the place I start off is one of my favorite spider facts i think we've covered it once before but i don't remember where and that's the the spider's behavior of ballooning oh uh, yeah we've definitely covered that before i think we had a uh, what if you could train spiders episode oh maybe that's that's probably where it's from but um I, I this was kind of my starting point and it was talking about so that spiders have this behavior called ballooning where they will shoot their web up from their admin up into the air and create almost like a parachute slash sail and then between the wind, thermals, and electromagnetic differences in the atmosphere, it'll actually lift the spider off the ground and bring them um, into the air. And they found spiders miles up in the air with this ballooning behavior. In fact, according to a study, and this study was done in, it was a five-year study done in the 20s, the 1920s, not the new 20s. Not the now 20s. <laughs> it'd be tough to do a five-year study in the now 20s. Um considering it is just barely 2021. But in that study, they found one in seven vertebrates, invertebrates that they caught in midair was a spider, which makes me uncomfortable that there's that many spiders in the air, because you'd think that you're at least safe from them, you know, above foot level. I feel like that lines up sort of scarily with the, like, people eat eight spiders a year or whatever number, and I don't like that. Is that, is that like, a real thing, or is that just a rumor? Like, how did they come up with that number? <laughs> I actually don't know. I also don't know. And it's, I mean, I'd have to, we'd have to look it up because I'm sure there's a whole story about where that statistic comes from and how it became popular. It's apparently not true. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Because I was going to be like, how, if, even if you wanted to f- figure out how many spiders people ate in their sleep, how would you even go about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always just imagine it being like spiders are a lot smaller than you think. Like, there's a, you know, there's a bunch of species of very, very tiny spiders that aren't like the, you know, visible size spiders that you see around but i don't know obviously it's not true anyway so any any understanding i have of it is already incorrect so anyway um the ballooning while super cool does not scale up and does not work so i can't make myself fly so i just wanted to mention that because it's a cool fact where i ended up was looking at the stopping power of the webs because like we mentioned spider-man has stopped all sorts of things like trains and cars and parts of buildings and bridges and while this power is quite handy, I couldn't find many non-emergency situations where it was particularly helpful, because it's not a permanent solution. The webbing only lasts about an hour before it dissolves, which makes it less than ideal if you want to use it to, like, really adhere things and, like, have them stay stuck together. On a short aside, as I was looking about how long the spider webs last, um, the article helpfully noted the exception to the, you know, the one-hour dissolve rule which was the time Doc Ock took over Spider-Man's body and made his web stronger. This became an inconvenience for Peter Parker when he got his body back and he was in a lab, so he was naked, so he decided to make himself some web underwear that did not dissolve after the usual hour. And then apparently there's a whole little subplot where he, like, gets the uh, the solvent from Doc Ock's assistant to remove his own webbed underwear, which I was just like, okay, it's incredible. Cool. <laughs> Eventually, though, I did I did find what I wanted to do that I think you Spider-Man powers are uniquely suited to, and that is to help solve the problem of space junk. 
so around the world in low orbit of Earth are all our satellites and the ISS and all the things that make all our phones and all that go round. There are over 20,000 artificial objects in orbit around Earth, of which only 2,000 of them are, are operational satellites. So only 1 in 10 objects that are in orbit right now are things we want to be there. The rest are problems. And the problem isn't so much that it's getting overly crowded. Like, 20,000 around the whole Earth isn't that big a deal. The problem is that it's a little bit crowded with things moving incredibly fast. Space debris can travel up to 18,000 miles an hour, or seven times the speed of a bullet, um, according to NASA. And the problem with that is, is that even small objects become very dangerous. There, there have been instances where literally a fleck of paint flying through space has damaged a window on the ISS. So basically, what I want to do, I think Spider-Man is uniquely suited. One, he'd be a great astronaut because he's so physically strong and all the other, you know. Part of being an astronaut to qualify is that you are pretty physically fit. And Spider-Man just, you know, we qualify just based on our awesome superpowers. So we're already a good candidate to go into space. And secondly, I think... One of the things where I like to go with these superpower episodes is that we have lots of ways to solve the problems down here on Earth. It's only going into space where getting things there is tough to do, and getting a person to space is something we know how to do very well. So if we can use my spider powers as the solution to the space junk problem, we are in good shape. So the question is, can we stop the space junk with our spider webs? So the first question is, is the spider silk strong enough to stop an object going 18,000 miles an hour. I think you've said the, the, the first question like four times. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <I'm laughs> I have not yet drank my coffee this morning. <laughs> so regular Spire Silk has a tensile strength of 1.75 gigapascals, which means a one square millimeter cross-section of this web can hold almost 400 pounds. Spider-Man's silk is at least that strong, but some versions either say that it's enhanced or includes, you know, nanotube enhancements, which can bring it up even higher. There is no actual straight-up number for, like, hey, Spider-Man's silk is this strong, but it varies between 1.75 gigapascals is the spider, and 63 is, like, just straight, you know, nanotube construction, which would be the strongest. So it's somewhere between 2 and 63 gigapascals. So the question then is then, if it's, you have the debris going through, do you need to stop it? What's the impact force from this debris going through? And the calculations for this got kind of sketchy in that it was tough to judge how big the object was going to be, how fast that object would be in relation to where you are, because you also have to be in orbit to have a, you know, a stationary spot. And really... It, decided it doesn't really matter that much whether you can stop it 100%. So I didn't have the full math of, will this spider silk break? Because it doesn't really matter if it breaks. Because all you have to do is knock this thing out of orbit. Because if you slow it down, slowing it down will also just put it into the atmosphere where it's going to burn up. And proof of concept, which I found after doing all this math, was that NASA is already looking into just putting up a bunch of nets <laughs> in orbit <laughs> to catch all the space debris. <laughs> So proof of concept right there. So I think that's going to work. And the, second, the last thing I have here is, if can he react in time? The Spidey sense, as far as I could gather, again, based on different universes, based on different comics, a bit of variation. It works up to 20 miles away is the number I found, which gives him about 0.2 seconds to react to something going 18,000 miles an hour. 20 miles away, that's a big area. It is a big area. So... 0.2 seconds is not a lot of time, but you are a superhero with, like, super reflexes, so I'm going to put it down under, like, feasible? <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he dodges, like, bolts and stuff, right? Yeah. In the, in the comics, he dodges, like, lasers and stuff, too, which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think 0.2 seconds is probably just on his limit of being able to do it, which puts my whole thing into the working category. So what Spider-Man's going to do is he's going to get in a little little space shuttle, go up into space, go find the debris, and then just shoot it down with his webs until it, and so it all burns up in the atmosphere. How is he going to shoot webs in a spacesuit? Well, 
See, this is where the mechanical thing would have helped. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could sw- I could switch back to the mechanical Spider-Man. <laughs> I mean, you can like isolate a small part of the, or have like a little flap that opens up, like isolate the, the wrist part of the suit and you have like a little flap that opens up would be I guess what you could do. You can you do have pretty good regeneration and durability, so I don't think space exposure on a small part of your arm would be too big a deal for you. Okay. I mean, if they can make a pen that writes in any direction and underwater, I think they can figure out how to get a spider suit to they can, shoot They can solve down. the Spider-Man problem. NASA has <laughs> has some very smart people there. And uh, yeah, that's what I would do. We can count on you to turn a Spider-Man question into a space question. <laughs> <laughs> Look, like I said, what, I, I end up in space a lot of the time because, <laughs> like I said, we, we solved a lot of stuff on Earth. In space, we still have problems. We still got lots of space problems. Chris, what did you do? So if I had Spider-Man powers, I was thinking that I wanted to play like a sport or something because Spider-Man is very athletic. He's acrobatic. He would just be very good at sports. So I wanted to look at what sport would he be best at. And I landed on football because he has this, this sticky fingers where he can like catch things very easily. He can dodge tackles with his spidey sense. And he should be able to like... He should be able to very easily avoid being tackled. So he'd be good at football, but I want to see if he would actually be allowed to play football according to the NFL rules. Or I guess not Spider-Man, but me as Spider-Man with Spider-Man's powers, would I be able to, to play football? So I looked at the official NFL rule book, and the first thing I focused on was his web, his uh, wall-clinging, sticky-hand situation. I want to see if he's allowed to actually use it to catch footballs. So in the rule book, they say that you're not allowed to have adhesives on your hands. So what is actually behind Spider-Man's like sticky fingers? Is it considered an adhesive and would it not be allowed? So according to the Marvel Wiki, they describe his his ability to to be sticky <laughs> as... He can mentally control the flux of interatomic attraction between molecular boundary layers. This overcomes the outer electron shell's normal behavior of mutual repulsion with other outer electron shells and permits the tremendous potential for electron attraction to prevail, which is a lot of chemistry words. Jesus. (laughs) That's not how spiders stick on the wall, though, right? Well, sort of. So... So that's a little wordy of a, th- a way to describe it. But some people describe it as his ability to like manipulate something called the van der Waals force. So what van der Waals force is, it's like a distance-dependent interaction between atoms and molecules. So it's, it's a little different than ionic and covalent bonds, but it's sort of similar mechanism because it's like electrostatic forces between them. It's weaker than ionic and covalent bonds. But it is strong enough that, like, animals can actually utilize it to climb smooth surfaces. So, like, an example that I kept on seeing over and over again was geckos. Geckos use the van der Waals force to climb smooth walls. So, with geckos, they have on their, like, on their feet, they have these structures. Their hair-like structure is called setae. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's, that's what it looks like. And on the ends of these hair-like structures, they have even smaller structures called spatulae, which are like on a microscopic scale. And they're so small that when they interact with surfaces, they have like electrostatic attraction between the spatulae and the surface. And there's so many of them on the foot of this gecko that the strength of it actually is strong enough to hold the gecko onto the wall. So... Spiders, like some spiders, I don't think it's all spiders, but some spiders have similar structures to these, and they use the van der Waals force as well to climb walls. And specifically for the van der Waals force, there's a study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that looked at the relationship between the mass of an animal and the surface area required to be in contact for the van der Waals force to actually hold it up on a wall. And... They found that the smaller you are, because of the way that surface area and volume scales up, the smaller you are, the less percentage of surface area needs to be in contact. So like an ant, which is very small, an ant only needs 0.09% of its surface area to be in contact with a wall for it to, for it to work, for it to not fall off of the wall. 
A spider, which is a little bigger than an ant, but not much, needs 0.92% of its surface area to be in contact. Geckos need 4.3%. And if it were to work on a human, a human needs 40% of its surface area to be in contact with a wall to not fall off. So according to the real science, in order for Spider-Man to work, he would need to basically just like press his whole body against the a wall <laughs> and then like shimmy up <laughs> and technically it could work. But that's how you have it wouldn't just work with fingertips. Yeah. That, and that's 4% surface area includes like the area all around the body. Right. So it's like not only so I think it's basically just like the entirety of your front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you need to. I, and I think you would need to like be slightly blobbous to get 40% to be actually on the wall. <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of assumed that you'd be able to get that much contact area. I don't actually know if you'd be able to do, though, because, like, obviously, you, your whole back can't be in, in contact with the wall, and you have, like, the sides of you that... But, like, like the sides the sides of you aren't more than 20% of your surface area, right? I'm looking at myself now. I don't know. <laughs> well, it depends, because, like if, like, if you have, like, your knee, whatever, like how much of your knee all the way around is it actually touching the wall? Like, it's you're rounded, so it's, like, more not, not more than, like, 10% of your knee going around is going to be in touch with the wall. Yeah, you need to be have, like, a lot of skin flapness. <laughs> you, like, a bony surface, you have a hard time getting all that skin to be in contact. I think I could do it. But, I th- yeah, I think you could do it. You just have to shimmy and really press up against it. Yeah, paint a wall, Ben. And then just, like, smash yourself against it, and then we'll just add up the area of paint on you <laughs> and divide it by your whole surface area. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, Spider-Man doesn't do this. He does it with his fingertips and his toes. But, like, the description, that's... So, the 40% is assuming that's, like, a normal Van der Waals uh, strength force. So, apparently, Spider-Man can, like, manipulate this mentally. So, he can theoretically make the Van der Waals force stronger than a normal Van der Waals force... So he wouldn't necessarily need that 40%. So, I mean, that's how that, that's the mechanics behind how Spider-Man can climb walls. The main takeaway for our purpose is that it's, it's not an adhesive that is responsible for his stickiness. It's molecular interactions, apparently. <laughs> so he would be allowed to use it in football. And it's not just his hands. It's like any part of his body, any part of his skin he'd be able to use. Technically... In, like, the real science, you wouldn't be able to do this through clothes. But, like, Spider-Man, he wears a suit and he wears gloves on his hands and it still works on through his gloves. So, I don't know. According to the movie logic, it would still be able to work through, like, if you had a uniform on. You'd still be able to, basically, if a football hit you anywhere on the body, you'd just you'd, he'd be able to make it stick to him. <laughs> so, yeah, he'd be allowed to do that. Next, I want to see if he would be allowed to use his web shooters. So I went with the the Spider-Man version where he does have the mechanical web shooters. And obviously, being able to swing around during a football game is a huge advantage. But I want to see, like, would he actually be allowed to have these mechanical web shooters with him on the field? Or is there, like, a rule against that? There's got to be a rule against that, right? <laughs> so there are rules against, like, you're not allowed to have... Grappling hooks? <laughs> you're not allowed to have uncovered hard objects is the way that they word it. And they use, like, jewelry as an example. So you're not allowed to have jewelry or uncovered guard braces, guards or braces, like, on your limbs. But they do say that you are allowed to have them if they're covered on all surfaces by a minimum of a 3 inch foam, rubber, or some similar soft material. And they do say that wristbands are allowed, but they can only be black or white for some reason. They, I guess they don't want different colors. So theoretically, they don't say anything about like <laughs> grapple hooks or anything like that. <laughs> but theoretically, web shooters would be allowed. They'd have to be black or white, and they'd have to be covered or like padded with a 3 8 inch foam rubber all around. But they would be allowed. So I guess you have your webs in football. Now, does web slinging count as being out of bounds was my next question. According to the NFL rulebook, they say that out of bounds is when you touch the boundary line or when you touch anything that is outside the boundary line. And that's basically how they worded it. In my mind, this means that if you touch anything that's past the vertical plane of the boundary line, then you're out of bounds. 
which in my mind means that the if you're in like a dome stadium, the ceiling does not count as out of bounds because at least the part that's within the the boundary line. So if you web shoot the ceiling and you touch the web, you're not out of bounds. I think it does mean that if you if you shoot your web outside, if like you shoot your web at the bleachers or something, and then you touch your web, then you are out of bounds. Or at least if you touch the part that's past the boundary line, then you're out of bounds. But I think you'd be able to set up like horizontal webs that are touching the bleachers as long as you touch the part of the web that's inbounds, then you're still inbounds. So according to my rules or the way that I interpret the NFL rulebook, I think web slinging would be allowed as long as you're as long as you stay within the the vertical plane of the boundary lines. I feel like it would be allowed and then the rule book would be very quickly amended. <laughs> yeah, they might change it. <laughs> but according to the the current rules it'd be allowed. So it's looking pretty good. I think based on Spider-Man's powers so far, I think they'd do pretty well in football and we won't be breaking any rules. There is one drawback though, and that's that Spider-Man has been known to tease and make fun of enemies. And that's not necessarily considered a power, but I think it's so ingrained into his character and who he is. And he actually uses it in combat and stuff, too, to, like, put his enemies off balance and stuff and to, like, just annoy them. So he gains advantage in fights. I'm going to say that his tendency to tease and make fun has transferred over to me as well as his other powers. And that's a problem because in football, unsportsmanlike conduct is a rule. And a lot of things qualify as unsportsmanlike conduct. So there, there were a bunch of sections in this section, like subsections. They had from A to W. And the most relevant sections to us are section B and C. So section B says you're not allowed to use abusive, threatening, or insulting language or gestures to opponents. And section C says you're not allowed to use baiting or taunting acts or words that may engender ill will between teams. So just the act of like teasing an enemy or an opponent would, I think, be in violation of both of these sections. And the the penalty for breaking these rules is when you're on offense, it's a loss of 15 yards. When you're on defense, it's an automatic first down. And I don't think I'd be able to resist teasing the other team because it's who Spider-Man is, it's who I would be. So I would just continuously tease them and I would, despite all my superpowers and abilities to like web sling and jump around people and stick the ball to my hand, I would lose the game for my teams just from teasing. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> in hindsight, I don't think Spider-Man would be good at football. I <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think his, I think his, I think his web sling would be absolutely not allowed. <laughs> and I think... The teasing is the thing is it's not even like real teasing; it's like bad puns. Also, yeah, f- football players a hundred percent like talk shit to each other. It's more that's more for mostly like racial slurs. <laughs> True, but the what the way they word it in the rules, I don't know. Could go either way. <laughs> Can I briefly say that there have been two uh, incredible unsportsmanlike conduct penalties that have lost teams games in college football in the last couple of years? One where a player scored a touchdown and then pretended to pee on the uh, goalposts. <laughs> and then the penalty yards let the other team score and win the game. And then just earlier this year, a player, a defensive player, uh, someone on the other team's shoe had fallen off. And he picked up the shoe and threw it 20 yards downfield. And that put them in range for a game-winning field goal, <laughs> which <laughs> is incredible. There's a risk that Spider-Man could do one of these things. It, it could does. happen. Two examples don't sound like something Spider-Man would do, but I don't know. He could do something similar. It could happen. Who knows? It could happen. Well, Ben, how's he going to kick the? How's he going to kick the game-winning field goal if he doesn't have his shoe? <laughs> I mean, it's a very good question. Yeah. So that that was basically my answer. Uh, ben, what did you do? So I looked at. You know, we've kind of gone through two of the the main Spider-Man powers, which are web swinging and and a general aura of stickiness. But the last one we haven't. You know, we sort of touched on but not kind of in detail on is the spidey sense which is spidey sense is basically it's an early warning system right it's like when spider-man's in danger he kind of gets this sixth sense that tells me he's in danger usually sort of through a either like a pain or or tingling sensation or something my fir- the first thing i want to figure out like just 
for my own benefit was is there anything like this in actual spiders because i always understood the webs obviously and the wall crawling obviously but i didn't really understand why the spidery sense like existed and they kind of do i found an article just sort of comparing spider-man's powers to like actual spider powers and first off they have this whole incredible trolling line of like they explain the spider sense and they say spiders can detect danger coming away with an early warning system called eyes <laughs> which is the greatest <laughs> the greatest like trolling thing i've ever read this was like from the national wildlife foundation like i was not expecting to get <laughs> trolled that hard but they then go on to say they actually do also they have all these these uh very sensitive hairs all over their bodies and those can let them just just sense vibration basically um, really well, uh, which is how when they're on their webs, they sort of can feel when something lands on the web. If something's walking near them, they can sort of feel it and get out of the way, things like that. And a lot of times they also have hairs that can sense these vibrations in the air, including like sound and stuff as well, um, which basically is, you know, at a sort of thousand yard distance, what a spider sense is, right? So there is at least a parallel in actual spiders, which I was happy to learn. So in, in the character of Spider-Man, the, the spidey sense has kind of evolved a lot over time. Um, so at first it was kind of just this like warning of physical danger where it would be more intense based on how strong the danger was. And you can kind of get a sense of like the direction it was coming from, but that was kind of all he got. He didn't really have any specifics. And then over time, I'm not going to lie, it got weirder. Um, where he'd get things like he'd get his spider sense to go off if like the milk he had was bad or, like, when he was at a store, I, I I couldn't find the exact example of this, but apparently it was a time where, like, he could tell which product was priced best based off of spider sense. That's awesome. That's a real power. And he also got one. There was one where, where he was asleep and was served an eviction note, and it woke him up, and he knew exactly why. So, over time, yes, it got a little weird <laughs> and more powerful, I would say. And even beyond that, I know you mentioned that, like, 20-mile radius thing. It can go a little bit further than that, as this is the one place where I feel like Spider-Man's powers have gotten scaled up over time by different writers. There were things where, like, he could feel that Galactus was coming to Earth from, like, across interstellar distances. He could tell when, like, a, like a villain was coming in from, like, a different timeline. He could He could tell that, like, there were gods fighting in a different dimension. Like, it got pretty, like, precognitive, way too powerful. It's not going to necessarily go that far. That's a little, a little, a little absurd. But there was one kind of beyond just the physical danger use that was used once that I thought was was interesting, which was gambling. Which was there was an issue of a Spider-Man comic where there was basically an annual charity poker game between superheroes, where they'd come together and play poker and, and raise money for charity. Who wrote this? <laughs> and it turned out the Spider-Man is really, really good at playing poker. Which he, he attributed two things. One, he wears a full face mask, which just makes it hard for people to see the tells. Which, fair. Yeah, that makes sense. And second, the spider sense could kind of give him basically a sense of when people were bluffing, right? Um, and sort of the, the interpretation was that it was like an attack on his financial well, well-being, right? And actually, in another comic, he, he also says, you know, it was one where like Spider-Man was dying. He was thinking about things he could have done differently. And he talked about he could have gone and made a fortune like playing blackjack and poker in Vegas. And maybe he should have had to like take care of his family when he was, was gone or whatever. But mostly, he doesn't do it because Spider-Man at his heart is a good person. And we clearly are not. So we could do this. Which, my next question was, I know we always, you know, everyone thinks about the like person goes to Vegas and has some ability. And they're going to get like thrown out of the casino. Does that actually happen? Because I, I, you know, I've seen that in movies, but I never knew if it was actually a real thing. And the answer is that apparently they could. They're, they're legally allowed to, you know. They're a business. They can kick you out for whatever reason they want to, as long as it's not like a, you know, protected class thing. But usually they won't. Because if someone is wanting a lot of casino, there's really three reasons that could be happening. One is that they're lucky. There's, you're on like a luck, you know, a luck roll. And eventually that's going to end and they're going to keep gambling and lose the money which is good for the casino. Second, they could be cheating, which generally they would rather let you keep doing it so they can catch you and then get the money back um, as opposed to just throwing you out and losing it. And third, if they are, if you are like card counting or something, this is sort of the one gray area. If you're counting cards or something, technically you're like gaming the system. And usually what they'll do, they would usually rather keep you in the casino because once again, you'll play something else and um, lose your money over time. But... Generally, they'll just tell you to stop playing Blackjack and play something else. So 
we can't like get our legs broken or get thrown out in Vegas or anything like that, most likely. So no casino style violence like the movie casino right it sounds like that's not really a thing anymore which is you know probably for the best so we could do that and we could make a lot of money doing that but i feel like that maybe even though we're not beholden to spider-man's you know ethos and and moral compass maybe it is not necessarily the best look for us and maybe there's something better we can do so i i had a different idea so as you may or may not know i work for a mutual fund company and there are a lot of weird mutual funds that are very, very specific. So basically, there will be mutual funds that are groups of stocks that are just based around like what the company does. Um, so great examples that I found. There is the IPATH Bloomberg Livestock Sub-Index Total Return ETN, which has the uh, the like trading symbol COW, which is basically just <laughs> futures contracts for for live cattle and, and lean hogs. So it, you know it's just basically pulling all your money on pigs and cows. Or there's the obesity ETF, which is slim, which is in like diabetes treatment and Weight Watchers, which is basically, you know, investing in the fact that people are going to be fatter and less healthy and try to fix that. And what I realized is that because Spider-Man has, you know, we have this example of him being able to like tell when someone's bluffing him in poker because it's an attack on his financial well-being. Conceivably, if you put all of your money into one of these funds... And then just kept it there. When your spider sense went off, it would be telling you that something bad is going to happen to your money. Which means that, for example, there's going to be, you know, something that affects cows or whatever. Now, that on its own is not that useful. I will freely admit. Aside from just, you know, I guess making money in the stock market. But there are also a lot that are geographical. And my favorite one I found is one that is literally just assets that are based in Nashville, Tennessee. (laughs) So... (laughs) conceivably if you had spider-man's powers you personally could act as an early warning system for nashville by putting all your money into the local shares nashville area etf and then just anytime your spider sense goes off you would know that something bad is going to happen in nashville that could affect those stocks and you could warn nashville and that is my plan is to be a defense system for nashville tennessee Wait, I'm still, It's. I think it's strange that you can invest in just everything that's in a geographic location. So the idea, generally ETFs like that are for like China or, you know, Brazil or like a country. The idea being that you're you're tracking on like their, you know, economy. For some reason, I have no idea why this exists. There's also one for Nashville. I don't know why. That seems like a very specific thing and I don't get it. Yeah, but, but I mean, it, it's just a collection of stocks. Like, like when you say Nashville, Tennessee, it's like you you put you buy a few stocks in like a range of businesses in Nashville. Exactly. That's how that works. Yeah, right? it's it's company's okay. headquarters in Nashville. So okay, yeah. So it's not like someone is hosting Nashville dot company right. that you can no, no, invest no, yeah. in. It's you know you invest in all the, the all the shops on the main street or something. Well, it's, it's probably it's probably like actual like corporations that are based in Nashville. That's usually how it works. But anyway. That's my plan, is to be an early alert system for Nashville, Tennessee. I like it. So we all have we all we all have pretty good plans, I think. Well mine wasn't mine wasn't you'd you'd lose in football. <laughs> <laughs> well, we disagree with that. I think you'd win in football. <laughs> I think you'd win in football. I think just on like, football like player. agility, strength, and spider sense you'd win in football. Just ignore the rest of it. Yeah. All the penalties. All the unsportsmanlike contact. <laughs> you could be a football player. A spaceman or the Nashville Early Warning System. Also, the Nashville Early Warning System, I just realized, just is an acronym for news, which is great. Nashville Early <laughs> Warning System is also a great, like, country supergroup band name. Just saying. Putting that out there in the yeah. world. Yeah. You can do whatever, Yeah, you can do any of those things. <laughs> but uh, the thing that we're going to do is move on to the next part of our podcast with the Would You Rather question. Ben. Hmm. Would you rather have a hen that lays golden eggs or a money tree? Oh, okay. So is it just, just purely a how much money can we get out of this thing? That was my initial thought, but also, which one's easier to defend? It's it's definitely... So I was... In terms of, of defense... I didn't actually thought about defense, but just in terms of, like, ergonomically, you can move a hen. You can't move a tree very easily. Yeah, but you could pay to have your tree moved. I mean you could 
But then you're putting the tree in other people's hands. You're putting it in other people's hands and, and like, there's risks there, right? Like, it's a lot easier to, like, you know, just get a cage and pop it in your car or whatever. How long does a hen live? How long does a hen live? Because a tree would live longer, you're right. Yeah, like a, lo- a lot longer. <laughs> how long does a hen live? And then how, like, what kind of bills are growing off of the tree? A hen lives five to ten years. Let's say the bills are random between one and a hundred. Okay. So, or I guess we just say average out to a twenty dollar bill. Average out to twenty because because it's, it's yeah one five ten. I guess it probably averages out to like fifteen or so dollars. I mean, you can average the value to fifty, even though there's no fifty dollar bill. But well, not really. Well, hold on, because there's there's four types of bills less than fifty, oh, and only right, yeah. one type that's fifty or a hundred. Uh, twenty seven dollars and twenty cents. Is the average? Yeah, it's all twenty dollars bills. Yeah, yeah, sure. Twenty dollars bills works. Okay. How many leaves are on a tree? (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) Well, if we're gonna go down this route, there's also is a golden egg hollow or a shell? I mean, if it's an egg, it'd just be the shell, right? Also, I just gave you the option of hollow or a shell. Yeah, I was gonna let that one go. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Is it hollow or solid? And I think it's I think it's just a shell. I would say that it's like the thickness of a Cadbury cream egg, but without the filling. Like it's not like an eggshell thickness. But it's not a solid gold egg. Well, I feel like I feel like in the in the story it is a solid gold egg. Is uh, yeah, it might be. So I don't think it matters how much money you make off of it because I think both of them are both of them are a lot of money. Yeah, both of them are enough like more money than you would need. So the question becomes, I think the only re- I'm, I'm leaning towards money tree in that it's just a lot more convenient to just get like I can just go spend twenty dollar bills. The golden egg is going to be a bit tougher to... Yeah, you have to sell it somewhere. Yeah, also I think there's a risk that like it starts to devalue pretty quickly. I don't think it would be enough gold that it would devalue. If it's just pure gold, I think you'd be okay. How big? So it's just a normal... Yeah, like, like a chicken egg. Chicken size? Like a jumbo okay. size egg. For some reason I was imagining a bigger egg, but now that I think about it, that doesn't make sense. I think, I think, I think the story is either hen or goose. Maybe you're thinking of goose eggs. Yeah, I was thinking of goose egg. Yeah. Yeah, the gilded goose. Mm-hmm. So a tree you have to have outside and that, and the, the bills are going to like fall off and like blow around and stuff. People are definitely going to know that you have the tree. Right. It's a lot easier to conceal your golden egg laying chicken, which I think is valuable. That is valuable. Like what I'm seeing is that you can basically, if you have, if you have a money tree, you're stuck where the money tree is, right? Like you can't, you can't move away. I guess you can, you know, pay someone to move the the, the um, tree, but there's always going to be a paper trail where you go. Theoretically, you could stay, you know, sort of move place to place with your golden egg laying chicken, and sort of like stay off, the, you know, off the grid and not like draw too much heat to yourself. That is true. Which seems pretty valuable. Because you could probably, depending on how you trade in your golden eggs for cash, you could keep it fairly off the books. Like, right. Not off the books, but off, like, not as public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The second people learn about it, they're going to start asking you for money. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lottery problem. But I think, is, is, the, is the gold of cash is just a cash out before it becomes too much of a problem? Like, what if you just sold your property with the money tree on it? I mean, yeah, you could sell it for a lot of money if you just don't want to deal with it and get an upfront payment. Yeah. It definitely raises the value of your land. Th- that is true. Yeah, just a smidge. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, oh, hold on. But here's here's the question, though. If How do you prove that a money tree is a money tree? There's money on it. But like, I don't think it'd be that difficult. <laughs> like, if you went, if you, if you were looking at houses and you went to one and someone was like, yeah, this tree here grows $20 bills and there was a tree with $20 bills on it, would you believe that it actually grew $20 bills consistently forever? That is true. It's too slow a process. Do you have like tiny bills? <laughs> <laughs> like in the growing <laughs> <Small>. process? <laughs> I think they start like, out, they start out as really ones. Really tough to harvest grown. them at the right yeah, size. They start out as ones and they, they eventually grow into 20s. <laughs> Uh, you can't, sir, you can't turn in this $4.78 bill. It's not ripe yet. <laughs> Actually, I want to revise it. I think they start out, like, as just pure white, and they, they grow on, like, the ink. I like that. So I think actually selling it's going to be tough, because you have to, like, you have to prove that it's a consistent thing in order to get actual value for it. I mean, I don't think it'll be, 
like it might take some time, but then once you initially prove it, everyone will basically know about it. But I don't think it'll take that long to prove. It'll just take like one season. I feel like defending it's just going to be really like a big hassle for that one season, though. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I just I just feel like personally, getting the the daily golden egg is going to be enough for me. And I don't know. I don't want to deal with the tree. If you could keep it private, then the tree is definitely more convenient. That's true. It's just, can you keep it private if you don't want to sell it? How much would a golden egg be worth? Quite a bit. I mean, definitely. If it's like, solid, then a lot. Yeah. I mean, even not. I think even the shell would be worth like probably like a few grand, like 10 grand or something. Someone crunch numbers on a, a solid goose egg and it'll be about $100,000. Goose egg is is a decent size bigger than a chicken egg yeah yeah so maybe like five grand an egg like because it, it would be smaller and then hollow so probably like a 20th of the volume right but if it's if it's five grand an egg that's like one and a half million dollars a year that feels like enough to me <laughs> i'm good with it well for five to ten years but yeah it would be enough for yeah me like well. like I'd be, I'd be cool with that pretty big pain to cash those out though because i imagine they'd be kind of heavy and you'd have to like if you get one every day you're gonna have a lot of eggs that you have to carry somewhere i think you just go like once a month you put them all in a box and take them somewhere and i don't think it's that bad i guess 30 eggs isn't that much yeah i mean they make they make containers specifically for carrying eggs around that that is true <laughs> <laughs> do it every 12 days yeah just do it 12 days <laughs> you can get one of the the bigger ones do it every 18 mm-hmm. or 24 i've seen those oh, yeah or, I don't know, whatever they transport a thousand eggs right, in. Right, right. Yeah, you can figure it out. <laughs> now, if they are hollow, or if if there's just a shell that's gold, is there anything inside it? It's just a regular egg inside. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just egg <laughs> it's just a yolk. In there. It's like, well, this is weird. Oh, but I, yeah, it's it's really, I think it's about the, like, I, for me, it's come back around to the duration. Like, the, the chicken is uh, is five to ten years. The tree you could pass down as a family thing. You know what else you could pass down as a family thing? The like $10 million that you get from the chicken over that 10 years. <laughs> $10 million, but like you could easily go overboard and accidentally spend all that and then not have a life savings. I mean, you could do that. I feel like you could do that with the tree though too. I feel like we're overestimating how much money the tree is. Yeah, I mean, the tree probably would be less money, but I think it's more stable. And uh, I mean, it, the tree, I feel like it would basically just be a salary sort of thing like a normal salary okay so actually the tree would be a lot oh wow that's actually perfect so a, a, a mature oak tree has two hundred thousand leaves oh see the number i just saw was on a big oak tree was 1.25 million leaves to so two million leaves yeah if we're saying all those are 20s that's a lot it's a lot of money <laughs> that's more than the eggs healthy tree can have two hundred thousand leaves this is like a forest tree though so, so maybe we're saying i said oak tree a mature oak tree like, I feel like a tree you'd have in your yard is probably closer to that, that 200,000, definitely. I feel like that 2 million leaves is like like in a, you know, an old forest. Yeah. Still 200,000. So 200,000 times, what do we say, 20 bucks? Like 4 million. Four, 4 million? Yeah. So the tree does produce twice, a little more than twice as much dollars a year. I just, I just feel like it's going to be such a hassle. I don't know. I'd rather have the bird in hand than the two in the bush. <laughs> Okay, there's one, the one last strike against the money tree. The gold, the gold, the value of the gold matches the market. <laughs> the tree does not adjust for inflation. That's actually a really good point. I also like that you guys decided to entirely ignore that pun. <laughs> five bucks were a lot further 50 years ago, and I imagine five bucks is going to go a lot less further 50 years from now. I mean, the tree does grow, which means, I, I think that means more leaves get on it, right? It technically adjusts itself for inflation over time. All right, I, I think it's pretty close. Let's 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 um yeah. Let's pick ones, Chris. Where are you? Where have you landed? I have landed. I think I'm gonna go with the tree. Just it is like it's gonna be harder to keep private, but I think the convenience of not having to like trade in a bunch of eggs and just like the longer duration of it is appealing to me. Ben, I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the hen. I just I just I I realize you can probably get more money from the tree overall. But I don't mind having to go and cash out the eggs. And I just still feel like people are going to come looking for the tree pretty quickly once they see it has 20s on it. And you cook a lot, so you can use those eggs for things. Also that. Oh, we just cracked this egg on this counter here. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. 
I think I'm also gonna go with the hen. I and I don't have a specific reason. It's pretty close for me, but it just if I'm gonna be that eccentric guy who has this weird magical income source, I feel like I'd rather it be the hen than the tree. I don't know. It just seems more me. The tree is like more glamorous to me than a hen. See, I don't want. The, I think the glamour is a, a downside. It could be. I don't. I don't want people to be able to see my source of millions of dollars in my backyard, <laughs> sort of as a rule. I mean, if you're rich, I'll, if you have all this money, they're gonna ask where you got it. If you're like, don't, if you're not working, but there's still, I don't know. There's still, there's still a difference. Like, you can say that you're like, you know, like a day trader or something. If you have a chicken, if you have a tree covered in money in your backyard, they're gonna figure it out pretty fast. Well, yeah. If I had a tree, I wouldn't try to hide it. But yeah. I, know, I just like the idea of the tree better. I mean, if the IRS comes, I mean, the, like the IRS can know. You just don't want it to become public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like if the government comes by and be like, where is this sufficient income coming from? You can be like, hey, I have this chicken that lays golden eggs and I sell them. And they're like, what? And then you show it to them. And they're like, oh, okay. What are they going to do? Right. <laughs> it's not illegal. I'm a minor, technically. Yeah. I mean, I think both of these, op- like neither of these options are the wrong option. I can see choosing either of them. Yep. And there you have it. That's how we would make our millions of dollars. But there's another way we can make millions of dollars with your help, listener. And that's by going on our Patreon and supporting the show directly. So www.patreon.com slash absurd hypotheticals for just one or one million dollars a month, whatever you want to choose. You get to pick how much you want to give. You can help support the show and you get access to all our behind the scenes episode um, which I'm sure we'll soon be talking about how we're spending our millions of dollars, which will be a really fun treat for everybody. If you don't want to help in a direct monetary sense, the other great way you can help the show is just by um, leaving a review. Um, leaving a review on whatever podcast you listen, on whatever platform you listen to, whether that's uh, you know iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Anywhere you leave a review really helps the show stand out, get more listeners, and help it grow. And uh, if you want to be part of the show, in a, in a sense, send us a question. Um, we love s- receiving listener questions, so if you have an idea for a absurd hypothetical question and want to send it to us, just send it to absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com is our email address, I think. Yep, that works. And uh, we'll see it there, and it might be on the show. So do all those things in whatever order you'd like. I won't, I won't be picky. And then join us next week where we do a lightning round. Um, where we answer rapid fire <laughs> questions no prep just winging it lots of fun we'll see you there next week usually we just end with the, the, with lightning, the lightning sounds sound. but i like how you continued after <laughs>